Welcome to Horror Study Hall, the academic side of horror. I'm your host, M.A. Reynolds. It's time to get spooky. Hello and welcome to episode three of Horror Study Hall. Today we are going to be talking about urban legends and folklore in the digital age. How urban legends and folklore have evolved over time. So what do you think of when you think of folklore? Most of us think of a group of people sitting around a fire telling cautionary tales. Maybe we, you might think of stories from the Middle Ages, Grimm's fairy tales, or myths and legend from our ancestors. Traditional folklore is so much more than that. It is the traditional beliefs, customs, and stories of a community passed through the generations traditionally by word of mouth. These stories explain the unexplainable and help people understand the world around them. They helped shape society by sharing cautionary tales around good versus evil, helped people cope with fears, and taught them how to face adversity. Our historical folklore shaped the society and peoples throughout time. Um, Some good examples of traditional folklore could be anything from Greek mythology to Roman mythology, Grimm's fairy tales, anything of that nature. And we'll we'll dive deeper into that. A direct descendant of folklore is the urban legend. An urban legend is a genre of folklore comprising stories or false claims told as if they were true, especially if they have happened to a friend of a friend or a family member, often with horrifying, humorous, or cautionary elements. We have all heard these stories. Think of those chain emails we used to get, especially in the early days of the internet. Send this email to five friends or something bad will happen. Someone's cousin's first wife's uncle's friend swears they saw Mothman, so it has to be true. Avril Lavigne is dead and has been replaced by a lookalike by her record label. And oh my god, the babysitter is getting calls from upstairs. During this conversation, we will be discussing the evolution of urban legends and folklore, how the internet has influenced the way we tell stories, Slender Man and five other examples of modern folklore, what we learn from modern lore. And at the end, I will be sharing some recommendations I have if you want to learn more or research this for yourself. So how did we get from Aesop's fairy tales and Zeus and the other Greek gods to the SCP Foundation and Slender Man? First, we need to understand how storytelling has evolved over time. Folklore and urban legends are the cultural production of the everyday person something anyone can create, even you and me. They are not limited to artisans, writers, or historians. 
Everyone can participate in the passing on of folklore and legends. Historically, we communicated these stories and creations by word of mouth. The reach was limited, and we were only able to pass on our folklore and legends to those in our circle, to individuals that had similar backgrounds, experiences, and interests. By passing on our shared experiences, we were able to prepare future generations for the world around them. Our folklore and legend helped us determine what has happened in the past, what is happening currently, and what may possibly happen in the future. So some good examples of ancient folklore and legends are Helios, the sun god, who drove his chariot of fire across the sky, causing the rise and fall of the sun. The legend of King Arthur and the sword and the stone. And Medusa with the power to turn men to stone with a glance. As technology advanced, so did our reach and understanding of the world around us. The invention of the printing press allowed us to share our stories to a wider audience and more efficiently than ever before. Now we could reach greater distances with our stories. It helped shape the content of our stories and shared experiences. Our fears and understanding of an ever-widening world shaped the content of our folklore and legends. Individuals like the Brothers Grimm were actively keeping a record of folklore to preserve the history and share these local stories with a wider audience. Without the advent of print, we would be unable to learn about being a good person despite hardship from Cinderella to be wary of strangers like Hansel and Gretel, and to be thankful like the elves and the shoemaker. Today, most people have read or heard traditional fairy tales the Brothers Grimm wrote down. As technology advanced, so did the way we tell our stories. We no longer had to rely on word of mouth or documenting folklore in books or magazines. We became able to instantly share our stories using new technologies. The internet opened up the world like never before, allowing us to communicate across great distances. Personal computers, cell phones, and tablets made it so we can communicate at any time, any place, allowing folklore and legends to be shared further than ever before. This no longer bounds us by geographic regions, cultures, backgrounds, and economic statuses. We are able to translate stories into any language and share them to anyone without limitation using the internet. The internet has become the world's largest unintentional folklore archive, helping us to collaborate, share, and transmit folklore. This massive archive retains folklore and legends from the past and newly created stories. For years to come, future generations will be able to look back at the folklore and urban legends we are currently creating in order to gain an understanding of what our culture was like at this time in history. They will be able to see our fears, our morals, and our society all through the content we create. Urban legends and digital folklore in the digital age speak a new language. We use slang, emojis, and conversational language. Telling a story verbally versus the way we're telling it online now is nearly identical in the way we communicate it due to the conversational nature in which we communicate online, returning us to telling folk tales around the campfire. We are able to collaborate without restriction to tell our global human story. This collaboration has created the stories that I'm going to be featuring today. They are often known as creepypastas, alternate reality games or ARGs, and internet urban legends. First, I'm going to take some time to discuss Slenderman, a collaborative folktale and creepypasta. So just in case you weren't aware, the term creepypasta refers to the action of copy and paste of scary stories from across the internet. This originated from users collecting stories from around forums, chat rooms, 
websites, all kinds of various locations on the internet. Then they share them by emailing to their friends, posting on another website, creating an archive, like a wiki page of all the collection of the creepy stories they find. These stories are often told from the first person point of view, causing the reader to question if what they are reading is real or fiction. They use real and familiar settings in order to make the story seem plausible. What is so interesting about Slenderman is that this is one of the first times in human history where we can trace a legend back to its origins. We cannot definitively tell you who created Cinderella, the name of the person who created Zeus, or who created that strange dandelion game most of us played called, it was like mama had a baby and its head popped off. I can tell you I played this in elementary school in the 80s. But why do we all know that rhyme? And who made it up? And why did it travel across regions back before the advent of the internet? But Slender Man, we can tell you where this originated from. In June of 2009, a Photoshop challenge was posted to the Something Awful forums. The challenge was to create a creepy image that could be plausible. This is where Slender Man originated. The post contained two images. One image is of children playing at a playground with a tall, slender, creepy-looking figure in the back. And the other, it looks like a bunch of children are running away from something with Slender Man standing in the background. This tall, faceless creature standing in the background of these photographs were created by user Victor Surge, real name Eric Knudsen. With the photographs, Eric posted two descriptions, and I will quote those for you right here. The first quote goes, one of two recovered photographs from the Sterling City Library blaze, notable for being taken the day in which 14 children vanished and for what is referred to as the Slender Man. Deformities in the photo cited as filmed effects by officials. Fire at the library occurred one week later. Actual photograph confiscated as evidence. This photograph is attributed to a photographer named Mary Thomas, who was missing since June 13, 1986. The second quote. We didn't want to go. We didn't want to kill them. But its persistent silence and outstretched arms horrified and comforted us at the same time. 1983. Photographer unknown. Presumed dead. The lack of detail in this post created an opportunity for others to help build the legend, to expand on the mythos. It opened up the door for creativity and collaboration. And build that legend, the users did. The internet collaborated to come up with what is considered to be canon in the Slenderman mythos. So who is Slenderman? He is most commonly described as a very tall, thin man with unnaturally long tentacle-like arms, or just tentacles in general, which he can extend to intimidate or capture praise. In most stories, his face is white and featureless, but he can also be featured as having a face, and it can be described looking different to anyone who sees this face. He appears to be wearing a dark suit and tie, kind of like the Men in Black um, mythology of either a quasi-government agency or aliens wearing black suits that people sometimes see here. He is often associated with the forest or abandoned locations, and he has the ability to teleport. If you get close to Slender Man, you may start to experience slender sickness, which 
consists of a rapid onset of paranoia, some nightmares, nosebleeds, and delusions. Early stories featured him targeting children and young adults. Some featured young adults driven insane that may act on his behalf, while others were just more he would kidnap the kids and you'd never see them again. He preys on our fear of strangers, our fear of the other and the unknown. Users continued to add to the mythos. They were photoshopping Slenderman into historical pieces of art to show that he has been around for centuries. Users were posting on forums indicating that they have found references to Slenderman in old folklore texts, which isn't true. In some of the images that people photoshopped, they took art that was from the Middle Ages and inserted Slenderman into the background to show that he has been a historical figure and been referenced for years. This added to the assumption that this is true, that Slenderman is real and he has been around for centuries. Many contributors added more detail on what Slenderman is capable of and expanded the mythos even more. First-hand accounts of interactions with Slenderman increased his validity and made users believe that this could be possible, that Slenderman is a real being. The success of Slenderman is attributed to the collaborative nature of his legend. He has been featured in countless stories, in video games, in movies, in series on YouTube. And one popular YouTube series is called Marble Hornets. The premise of this series is a filmmaker set out to make a documentary film called Marble Hornets, and he disappeared. His friend found his footage and is going through it to try and determine what happened to his friend. Three years after his friend's disappearance, Jay, the protagonist of Marble Hornets, decides to watch the tapes. And through the footage, he discovers that there is some humanoid figure in the background. Um, he's never called Slenderman in the series. He's called the Operator. But he looks and acts exactly like the Slenderman that we know from the mythos that was created online. It appears that Slenderman, or the Operator, continuously stalked the filmmaker, whose name in this series is Alex. Even when he was on the set with his actors, when he was at home, um, there's there's footage of him waking up in the middle of the night and filming outside of his window, and there's Slenderman standing on his porch. There are always really quick glimpses of the Slenderman to, to drive up your apprehension and your stress when watching these videos. The presence of Slenderman started to cause Alex to develop coughing fits, severe paranoia, uh, all of the symptoms we discussed previously about what happens when you're in Slenderman's presence. Um, Jay discovers that Alex resorted to using cameras and videotapes to kind of monitor, monitor his home life situation rather than continuing on with the documentary. And so there's all kinds of footage of slender man personally attacking the, this young man um, as jay continues to try to figure out what happened to alex slender man starts stalking him and showing up in his personal life and this goes um over for a couple of seasons there's like i believe 88 or 90 videos and uh, some spin-offs if you've never seen marble hornets i highly recommend you check out their youtube channel and just get fully immersed in this legend. Um, they did a really good job. And 
the videos I think still hold up today, 13 years later, and still can scare you. Slender Man has spread rapidly to all corners of the internet. He has become a household name and he even ended up in my home. Back in 2009 when Marble Hornets came out, my children were pretty obsessed with that YouTube channel. So we would watch these as a family um, and get scared with each other and, and try to figure out what's happening with these videos and if Alex will ever fi be found. And my, my son and my daughter would draw Slender Man's little symbols on paper and hang them up in my room to try to scare me. They went as Slender Man for Halloween. Um, it became kind of a big part of our lives for a short time and drew us closer together. Um, I will always have a soft spot in my heart for Slender Man because of this interaction with my children and the joy we had experiencing it together. Next, we're going to discuss the Stairs in the Woods creepypasta in our discussion of folklore in, and urban legends in the digital age. Stairs in the Woods is a traditional creepypasta posted on Reddit by user Search and Rescue Woods on the r slash no sleep subreddit around 2014. This creepypasta is about staircases the user runs into on their job as a National Park Search and Rescue employee. These stairs appear to come from nowhere. There are no signs of ruins around them, and the stairs appeared to exist in isolation. Often, these staircases were around a missing person event or other strange occurrence, such as sightings of otherworldly people, confusion, disorientation, and all kinds of other supernatural events. After users Search and Rescue Woods shared several stories, many others on the internet claimed to have experienced seeing these staircases themselves, most located in the United States in our national parks. The stairs in the woods may have roots in reality. Now that we are able to travel further than ever before, it is possible to stumble across ruins from buildings long forgotten. True disappearances in national parks and documentaries like Missing 411 bring believability to this legend. After all, supernatural staircases could explain why some lost hikers are never found and why we have so many people missing in our national parks in the United States. Some people have asserted that these stories are little more than attempts at horror, but others have continued adding to, the, adding to these stories claiming to have seen similar things in forests around the world causing the legend to grow. And with the ability to assume other identities or post anonymously online, the legend becomes more real. I am going to read an excerpt from user Search and Rescue Woods um, from their first story that they posted on r slash no sleep. Quote, This is the last one I will tell, and it is probably the weirdest story I have. Now, I don't know if this is true in every SAR unit, but it isn't mine. It's sort of an unspoken, regular thing we run into. You can try asking about it with other SAR officers, but even if they know what you're talking about, they probably won't say anything about it. We've been told not to talk about it by our superiors. And at this point, we've all gotten so used to it that it doesn't even seem weird anymore. On just about every case where we're really far into the wilderness... I'm talking 30 or 40 miles. At some point, we'll find a staircase in the middle of the woods. It's almost like if you took the stairs in your house, cut them out, and put them in the forest. I asked about them the first time I saw some, and the other officer just told me not to worry about it. That it was normal. Everyone I asked said the same thing. I wanted to check them out, but I was told very empathetically that I should never 
go near any of them. I just sort of ignore them now when I run into them because it happens so frequently. End quote. The Stairs in the Woods are a really amazing collection of stories. Um, I do believe that most of them have been taken down from Reddit at this time. Um, I follow this user personally on Reddit and they did post a few weeks ago that they were going to remove their posts. So if you wanted to retain their stories to download them. But luckily someone has already done that for us. They have done the traditional creepy pasta activity of copy and pasting and it they are all on a website in one giant collection. That's how I read them all. Um, I, I will post again the link to that in the show notes. So I highly recommend you go and read them for yourselves and get immersed in this mythos. Next, we're going to talk about the elevator game. The elevator game is a ritual or a game that could possibly explain a strange event that most of us know of. Do you remember playing light as a feather, stiff as a board as a child or Bloody Mary even? Um, I know I played Bloody Mary. I played it in elementary school in the girl's bathroom during the day and it still scared the living daylights out of me. (laughs) These games are more like rituals and we use them to interact with a world beyond our own. We learn these games from our friends, our siblings, and our family members. The use of ritual allows us to seek to understand what we don't and make the world more understandable. People have long wanted to connect with those they have lost, with something larger than themselves. Rituals like the elevator game are a way to connect with another place. Throughout human history, rituals were created to communicate with the other world and to help us understand what we cannot explain. Over time, rituals changed to become more mainstream. The spiritualism movement of the 19th century helped change the perception of rituals into games or parlor tricks. Over time, these games became something many children do at parties or sleepovers. I, I, I know I personally would play light as a feather, stiff as a board at almost every sleepover as a child. Somebody would try to break out the Ouija board and I was always too scared to do that one. Um, just think back to your own childhood and how many of these ritual games you tried at a party or a sleepover. The advent of the digital age has spread these games further and wider than ever before. We are no longer limited by our small circle of friends and family members. While a fairly recent invention, the elevator does have superstitions around it. While a fairly recent invention, the elevator does have superstitions around it. In many countries, elevators do not go to unlucky floors, such as floor 13 in most English-speaking countries, or floor 4 in some East Asian nations. It was only a matter of time before a new legend or ritual was created around the elevator. The elevator game likely originated in an East Asian country around 2011. Some think it was Korea. Some think it was Japan. We don't really know for sure. If the elevator game is performed correctly, it supposedly takes you to another dimension. Here's a high-level overview of how to play the elevator game. If you want the detailed instructions, I highly recommend you look it up for yourself and try it out if you would dare. Find a building with at least 10 floors. You are instructed to go to specific floors in a very specific order. It is possible that a strange woman will enter the elevator with you at some point during your journey. 
Your new elevator buddy is from another dimension. Do not speak to her or she will keep you forever. Once you complete the sequence, you will exit the elevator in a different dimension. Some say the new dimension will look like your own reality, but be slightly off. Some say it's a portal to hell. You will recognize that you are somewhere else because all of the lights will be off. No electronics will be working. If you look out the windows, you will see a red cross in the distance. Do not fall asleep here or you will be trapped in this dimension forever. To return home, make your way back to the elevator and complete the sequence in reverse order. The elevator game lore took off when internet users theorized that Elisa Lamb was playing the elevator game and that is how she met her demise in the Cecil Hotel. And that explains the erratic nature she displays in the surveillance videos most of us have seen. Did Elisa wander into the water tower as we have been told? Or was she playing the elevator game and she was unable to return to our dimension in time? The world may never know. Next, I'm going to talk about probably my favorite internet urban legend slash folklore collection, the SCP Foundation. The SCP Foundation is a fictional secret organization documented by a collaborative writing wiki project. The Foundation is responsible for capturing and containing various paranormal, supernatural, and otherworldly phenomena that cannot be explained by mainstream science. These are known as anomalies or SCPs. The Foundation is charged with keeping us safe from these SCPs and keeping them secret so the world never truly knows what sort of evil lurks in the shadows. The website of the SCP Foundation is community-based and it originated on 4chan. It includes elements of many genres such as horror, science fiction, and urban fantasy. Contributors create fake classified documents and add them to the website to document these anomalies and to add details on how to keep them contained from the rest of the human race. They also include addendums, which include interactions with these SCPs um, and also have a whole structure of how this foundation works from the severity levels and what each of those mean to having D-class personnel which are charged with testing these abnormalities. Um, it, it's really an interesting project and probably my most favorite the recent creation of the All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office by the United States government makes the SCP Foundation a little more real. On the Foundation homepage, on the wiki page, they have a letter from the administrator of the SCP Foundation that I'm going to quote here for you because I find it kind of interesting. Quote, Mankind in its present state has been around for a quarter of a million years, yet only a small fraction of that has been of any significance. So what did we do for nearly 250,000 years? We huddled in caves and around small fires, fearful of the things that we didn't understand. It was more than explaining why the sun came up. It was the mystery of enormous birds with heads of men and rocks that came to life. So we called them gods and demons, begged them to spare us, and prayed for salvation. In time, their numbers dwindled and ours rose. The world began to make more sense when there were fewer things to fear. Yet the unexplained can never truly go away, as if the universe demands the absurd and impossible. Mankind must not go back to hiding in fear. 
No one else will protect us, and we must stand up for ourselves. While the rest of mankind dwells in the light, we must stand in the darkness to fight it, contain it, and shield it from the eyes of the public, so that others may live in a sane and normal world. We secure, we contain, we protect. End quote. SCP-3008 is an Ikea where if you enter it, you can never leave again. Inside this Ikea, there are abnormalities that are wearing Ikea uniforms. They are the quote-unquote employees. <laughs> These creatures have no face and can vary from being incredibly tall to super short. They come out at night to hunt individuals who are trapped inside of this Ikea. In the story or in the documentation for SCP-3008, it gives, you know, very descriptive documentation of what this building is and what each creature is. And there's also an addendum attached that is supposed to be a journal the foundation found when they were investigating it uh, of someone who was trapped in there. And I'm going to read a direct quote of that journal entry because I just find it so fun. Quote, Day three of my magical Ikea mystery adventure. If I wasn't sure that there's something seriously weird about this place before, I am now. Walked around for three hours in a more or less straight line, insert Ikea joke here, before I came across a ladder next to one of those huge stock shelves they have here. Climbed up to get my bearings, and it looks like this place just stretches on forever. Like that scene from The Lion King, except instead of trees and grass, it's all shelves and tables and crap. I did see a person moving not too far away, so I headed over. Thought it was a staff member at first. It was wearing the uniform. And hell, maybe it was. Maybe freakish seven-foot-tall monsters with long arms, short legs, and no faces are just the kinds of thing they want working at Super Ikea. Damn thing completely ignored me, though. With no eyes or ears, I can't even be sure it knew I was there. Thought about shoving it or something to get its attention, but its hands were big enough to crush a watermelon, so I decided against it. It just kept moving along, and eventually I lost sight of it, so I decided to carry on the way I was going. Anyway, no comfy bed for me tonight. Looks like I've entered the improbably hard and pointy table section of the store. Guess I'll have to make do with some bunched-up tablecloths. Phone battery died during the day, too. Didn't work anyway, but I feel like I've just lost some vital lifeline. I really enjoy the SCP Foundation and the way that they document their stories and make it look like secret government documents. It's a lot of fun. Um, I highly recommend you check those out as well, of course. Next, we're going to chat briefly about the back rooms. The back rooms is an urban legend and creepypasta describing an endless maze of randomly generated office rooms and other areas. Um, it's characterized by the smell of moist carpet, walls with a monochromatic tone of yellow, some really annoying buzzing fluorescent lights that you find in most old office buildings. Many on the internet have collaborated to expand upon this concept by adding monsters that live there, various levels to the back rooms, and, um, and making stories of people who have been trapped in the back rooms. So the original post... Uh, Referencing the back rooms came from a two-paragraph 4chan comment on a post asking for unsettling images. An anonymous user invented a story based on one of the photos. I quote, If you're not careful and no clip out of reality in the wrong areas, you end up in the back rooms, 
where it's nothing but the stink of old, moist carpet, the madness of mono-yellow, the endless background noise of fluorescent lights at a maximum hum-buzz, and approximately 600 million square miles of randomly segmented empty rooms to be trapped in. God save you if you hear something wandering around nearby, because it sure as hell heard you. End quote. The backrooms play on our fear of liminal spaces. The aesthetic known as liminal space is a location in which a transition is, is occurring. It's a transition from a place of activity and busyness to an empty space. Typically, these spaces are things like abandoned malls, um, a school at 6 p.m., a mall at 4 a.m. Um, these types of locations that typically have people and activity in them, um, when we see them empty, really unnerves us. Um, think of all the times that maybe you've been in your high school or, or school in general during the summer when no one's in there and how creepy that feeling is. Or being in an abandoned location that used to have a ton of people of, in it. Um, why are we so obsessed with watching YouTubers examine abandoned locations? Because it gives us a sense of fear and a sense of just wrongness that all of these locations should have life where they don't currently. These spaces make us feel frozen and unsettled because they're so familiar to our minds. The Backrooms fandom page has a lot of user-contributed stories to build on the mythos of the Backrooms. Um, I found one that's called A Slip Out of Reality. I will link that in the show notes, of course. Um, and, but I would like to read a little excerpt from that story for you here. Quote, He was walking down the sidewalk when it happened. It had stopped raining about an hour ago, which gave Joe Romero the chance he needed to make this little journey. Unfortunately, there were still some puddles on the sidewalk. He wasn't paying attention and his mind was on other things. By the time he noticed he was falling, all he could do was brace for the inevitable impact. But when it came, something was wrong. He hit the ground later than he should have. He opened his eyes. Instead of familiar green trees and towering brick buildings that was his high school, he was inside an unfamiliar building. Fluorescent lights buzzed loudly over his head, illuminating what seemed to be a small maze of hallways. Each wall was covered with a disgusting beige and yellow wallpaper. The carpet was moist as if the rain had seeped through it. End quote. The back rooms definitely play on our fear of liminal spaces and being alone in a location that's familiar yet not familiar. There is a really great YouTube channel by Kane Pixels, who has been making short films of the back rooms. If you get a chance, I highly recommend you check it out. His videos are just phenomenal. Um, I've become obsessed with them lately. The last example of internet urban legends and folklore in the digital age I'm going to go over is the Mandela Catalog. The Mandela Catalog is an example of an ARG or alternate reality game. An ARG is an interactive networked narrative that uses the real world as a platform and employs transmedia storytelling to deliver a story that may be altered by players' ideas or actions. When you're watching an ARG, part of the fun is trying to figure out what is going on. 
They often have hidden messages in them so you can help solve the mystery or just determine what the source of the issue is. So the Mandela catalog is set in the fictional Mandela County in the United States. The series consists of training videos for police and citizens, phone recordings, found footage, and more. These videos inform the residents of alternates who are trying to take over. Alternates cannot necessarily hurt you directly, but can influence your actions. Um, This series addresses fear of the intruder, fear of the dark, fear of oneself. It uses the uncanny valley to cause discomfort and fear. As the series goes on, you learn more about what the alternates are and how they adapt to keep attacking residents of Mandela County. Um, Alternates can assume the form of your family or your friends to attack you or even assume your own identity. Um, Alternates start using TVs and other screens to find victims, especially little children. Even more disturbingly, while alternates are unable to hurt people directly, they can use psychological torture to make you hurt yourself and make you obey, obey them. In the series, this psychological distress can cause sleepless nights, religious delusions, paranoia, panic attacks, and it usually ends up in, in self-harm in some way or another. The lack of physical attacks is what makes this so terrifying. It's attacking your psyche. It's attacking you from the inside and making you do things you do not want to do. What makes this series of videos so intriguing is that they are an ARG. The creator has hidden messages in some of the videos. If you turn the captions on the videos, sometimes the captions are completely different than what is being said on the screen. There are hidden messages behind them. Sometimes there's hidden messages hidden inside the actual video itself. So if you look in the background or pause, go through every frame, you might find some additional information. It's really interesting way to tell a story and and get engagement from an audience. So those were my, my six examples of internet urban legends and folklore that we have been telling over recent years. Um, These folklore and legends connect us. They allow us to share our experiences and wisdom to understand experiences from a different point of view. They are showcasing our problems and fears and showing that those problems and fears are experienced by people from all kinds of cultures and backgrounds. The collaboration shows us that we do have the same fears. We do have the same concerns and problems. These stories help us evaluate our fears safely so that we can face them. It helps us learn a lot about our own culture to listen to these stories and understand what people today are so concerned about. In closing, um, internet urban legends and folklore are important. It is important for us to collaborate and share our stories, to share our fears, to understand what we all are scared of. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Horror Study Hall. To look into more internet urban legends and folklore that have been created in the digital age, I recommend you check out Channel Zero. This was a series produced by the Sci-Fi Network. Had about four seasons, I believe. Um, Each season uses a different creepypasta as the storyline. So you can watch and enjoy some popular creepypastas in video format. 
Two podcasts I really enjoy are Creepy Pod by John Grills and SCP Archives by Pacific Obadiah. These podcasts go in deep on Creepy Pastas for Creepy Pod and the SCP Foundation for SCP Archives. A really great ARG is Local 58 on YouTube. And always check out the r slash no sleep subreddit for creepy pastas as they're created by their original content creators. Um, that's a really great community that collaborates on these new urban legends and folklore tales. If you are enjoying the Horror Study Hall podcast, please leave us a review wherever you listen to us. This will help the show reach a wider audience and help us to be able to continue making more content for you. Um, We appreciate you and stay spooky.